your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, of course, no matter where you are, what you're doing, and uh, where you're listening, welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast. This week, we have Madi Sharma. Madi Sharma is an entrepreneur and a social capitalist. She's a member of the European Economic and Social Committee and living her life with one strict motto, no excuses. Listen to the extraordinary um, tale, personal uh, tale, and sharing that with us and uh, the, the audience, of course, about how she picked up her life time and again when she was probably at a very low point where most of us probably would have given up. Um, but Mani didn't. And typically stick around for the, uh, the last uh, question, which is, as always, the three tips to become more culturally competent. And I'll give away one, and I'll let you listen to the other two um, when you get to the end of the interview. Tip number one to become more culturally competent is say thank you. And Madi will explain what that is all about. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. It's good afternoon, Maddie. How are you? Good afternoon. Fine, thank you very much. And you? I'm doing well as well. It's raining cats and dogs here. I'm based very close to Brussels. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from and where you currently are? Is it raining there or yes or no? And tell us a little bit about your cultural frame of reference, please. Okay, very difficult for me. Uh, first of all, I'm sitting in the UK. So I'm sitting in Nottingham, which is heart of the UK, Robin Hood country. Um, and it's sunny, but it has been raining. It's the usual UK sort of weather. Mm-hmm. Now, as it comes down to how did I get to Nottingham? Well, my father came to in- to the UK in 1953 from India mm-hmm. after having India having its partition. So he... Uh, what where his home is now where it was called uh, Pakistan okay. uh, it's, it, it, so he came over um, found a job here worked hard uh, as a bus driver as a coal miner then set up his own business uh, found my mom sitting in a cafe now my mom is Austrian okay <laughs> um, and her father was Polish mm. Uh, I have five sisters and all of us are all around the world. So uh, culture is very, very important to me and understanding others pe- other people's cultures and valuing it mm. is really as to why I am where I am today, thanks to the differences of culture and accepting them. Okay. All right. Excellent. Um, this this sort of multicultural, I hate the word multicultural. I don't know, but it just doesn't capture what, what these different cultures sort of um, uh, bring about, I think. Anyways, for the lack of a better word, this multicultural background, what do you, you might have a British passport, but what are, what are you culturally? Uh, culturally, I'm a citizen of the globe, um, and that, and that's the way I, I like to be. I don't. I hate boxes. I absolutely hate boxes, and uh, I'm a big fighter against governments because governments <laughs> and education try to put us in boxes. Uh-huh. And an entrepreneur, our job is to get out of the box. And that's what you are—an entrepreneur. 
And that's what I am. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. And what, what I try to do is encourage other people, whether they class themselves as entrepreneurs or not, but to get out of the box and to stop the standard of the standard thinking that we have, because that restrains us. And the great thing about culture is once you embrace it, there's no borders, there's no barriers, and you can really see uh, new product development, new ideas, new sales opportunities, new boundaries from which you can cross and learn things. And this is why um, I'm I, I'm a big advocate of the the no box theory. And then, okay, that's appreciate that. Is it um, is it a reality though that you you can sort of unbox people listen i'm sitting here talking to you uh-huh. uh, i have got uh, uh, eight companies and organizations which are being run by people as we speak mm-hmm. not one of my staff is sitting in this room with me i have a team in macedonia i have a team in brussels uh we have somebody in croatia we have somebody uh sitting in delhi mm-hmm. my personal assistant is actually based in delhi she gets up four and a half hours before me which means that my emails are on my desk my work is there ready for me when i get up and when i go to bed i send her her work to do the next day during the day we're online part of the time but you don't have to be in the same room anymore to do business or to do work unless you're actually running a factory but this is this is the importance of um understanding that it's it's we're in a global world now we're in a global context so there aren't these barriers don't exist everything all the barriers that you're putting there are actually in your mind okay my kids have grown up i don't have to look after the kids anymore or anything mm-hmm. but you know i took my grandson to to nursery this morning um my daughter is also training to be an entrepreneur she's a filmmaker um and it's about working together but she also doesn't see that the fact that she has a a child or the fact that i've, I've had children when i was running my first business mm-hmm. has stopped us from doing what we want to do mm-hmm. But what's the reason then, Madi? And I asked this question, I happen to ask this question to a lot of guests lately. Why are there still so many companies that brush over these cultural differences just like that? They seem to have total different priorities to sometimes I can understand, but culture matters, I think. Okay, the culture of an organization matters. No, no, I'm talking about national cultural differences. National national cultures, this is the stereotyping that we do Uh because of the way that we're brought up. So one of the things I'm desperately fighting against at the minute Mm -hmm. is CVs and experience required. So... Ask a chief executive. Um, I have this person who wants to come and work for you. They've told me this is their ideal job. Can you give them an opportunity? No, Maddie, we can't because uh, they have to apply for the job. Why do they have to apply for the job? Because that's what we do. We put out an advert uh, and then they come and see the HR director. Okay, what relation is there between the HR director and the job that needs doing on the factory floor, which this guy wants to do? There's no relationship whatsoever. You haven't looked into the eyes of this person. You cannot see that this person really, really wants to work for you. You're somebody who's doing a job which they love 110%, they're going to excel at. Mm -hmm. This guy is going or girl is going to bring you huge range of diversity, new opportunities, and yet you're sitting there and saying to me, well, you've got to wait for the job advert to come out. Mm -hmm. This is where we're going wrong. And this is particularly as a bit of a political statement now, but this is where Europe is going wrong. 
Okay, but I, I, I appreciate that, but that's something I definitely want to want to touch upon um, this whole this whole thing that's currently happening in Europe. And by the way, um, we're recording this on June twenty second, twenty fifteen. Just in case you might be listening to this in the future, is it still there are organizations that say, and I've I've bumped into them, banks outsourcing their IT, um, uh, well, their their bank IT to India, and saying, you know, if we look at uh, at this from economics or economics of scale. It makes good sense because Indians speak good English. They're well educated. They they're uh, tech savvy. And at the end of the line, it doesn't seem to work. And that has nothing to do with the Indians not being capable. It's just that culture seems to be in between that. And so many of these big and also small organizations just don't see it. What's wrong? We've we've forgotten. You see, we're doing business to business, uh-huh. so B B or business to customers. But we're not doing a H to H. We're not doing the human to human. We're not looking in people's eyes. We're not talking to people face to face. And this is where we're going wrong. And this is part of what culture is about, is understanding that. So, I mean, I don't want to say anything against the Indian call centers, but they don't, and they have, those people haven't been to the UK to understand mm-hmm. how a UK person lives, what they're going through, what it's like to live in Nottingham where what's just down the road you know they have a map in front of them they know what the weather is but they don't know what the person's like they don't know what struggles we're going through they don't know what's on you know what's on the news today they can't understand the people unless you can actually understand the people you can't you can't value the people. And when we don't value the people, we don't have that connection. And that's what's missing. That's an ex- excellent segue into something that's actually on your LinkedIn profile, because there you talk about, and I think it's, I can quote it even, um, delivering entrepreneurship, cultural change, change through proactive teaching. How do you, how do, you do this then? What's your, what, what is, what is um, uh, Mari Sharma's approach to this? Oh, we don't believe in business plans. There's not a successful business person in the world who set up their business with a business plan. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll strike that out immediately. Okay, that's, that saves <laughs> a lot of time for me, yeah? So what we, what we do is we give people products or if people say that they want to set up in business, okay, tell me what you want to do, tell me how you want to do it. Now, go out and do it. Go and sell one. Yeah. And they'll go, yeah, but I can't because I haven't got my forecast. And No, no, go and sell one. And they'll come up with another excuse that, you know, uh, uh, if it's raining outside, I've got to go and knock on door. Go and sell one. Mm-hmm. Everybody has the fear of selling one. So if you want to be a hairdresser, go and cut one person's hair. But getting somebody to pay for that service or that product is the most difficult thing because until you've actually sold one, you actually haven't got a business. Well, and, and where that- does culture play a role in this thing? Well, culture plays the role in the fact that actually there's a fear, especially if you're an entrepreneur in Europe, Uh there's a fear that, okay, but what if I go out and uh, nobody wants to buy it? But you haven't already tried it. You've listened to everybody and everybody's turned around and said, no, this is not going to work. So in, in Europe, we have this fear, whereas in India, you have, which is why I started my business the way I started my business, mm-hmm. is the fact that you, if you don't sell it, you don't eat. So you have to go out and you have to sell the one. And when you've come back, when you've sold one, we make you go out and we make you sell two. 
and then five and then 10 and so on. So by the time you come to selling 100 products or having to cut 100 people's hair, Mm -hmm. you've got to have a whole new different system of marketing, selling, and you really need to understand your customers and understand your market, which is where culture comes in. And and what method do you use to actually, and and if you could isolate this on the cultural thing, because I mean, I know your introduction is you have, you took a, um, what is it, a quote from Gandhi and you added no excuses to that? Yeah. So, and what's, uh, that, what's that quote again? The, you must be the change you want to see is Gandhi's quote. Uh-huh. And Mad- Maddie says, you must be the change you want to see. No excuses. And I, I very much appreciate that. And I've, I've listened to some interviews uh, available online. Just Google the name Madi Sharma. You'll find a couple of, uh, of interviews as well. And you are such an advocate of, of indeed just go out there no excuse just do exactly do one I love that kind of approach as well still and that's the professional side that I'm here um, to advocate in a way is that there are cultural differences in between if the India the average Indian who we all know doesn't exist comes to London and starts there selling one he'll bump into cultural differences how do you help this person The whole point is when you come to sell the one, he'll make some mistakes, but at least it's only his first one. And he'll learn by making those mistakes. So it's not that he's failed. Because in Europe, you would say that if you've if you've tried to sell them or you've had a business and you didn't sell anybody or, or, or your company went bust, you failed. That's true. Whereas it's not failure, it's learning. And this is the, for me, is the biggest thing that I, I, I really want to explain to people that you haven't failed, you've learned. But the mm. biggest regret you will ever have in your life is not having tried. Mm. And people don't try because culturally we are taught not to try. We are taught you'll try and try and uh, and if you don't succeed, uh, if you don't fail, you'll succeed. These sort of things, but they're empty words. Mm. We don't actually physically encourage people to go out there and have a go. We would much rather give them all the reasons why they shouldn't do something. So uh, I, the easiest thing to do is to give my case study. So my case my case study is, uh, and yes, this is also online, um, is that at the age of 16, uh, I asked my dad if I could go into business. And my dad said, business is no place for a woman. Now, the, my dad was in the textile industry. And what he was trying to tell me, but he didn't tell me very politely, is the textile industry is on the decline. And therefore, please don't go into it. All Indians are going to be doctors, dentists or pharmacists. So, uh, Maddie, you should go in and you should go and do pharmacy or mm-hmm. medicine. Yeah. So I went off to university to do pharmacy. It wasn't what I wanted to do. So I was following the cultural background of what we what we should do. It wasn't what I wanted to do. So I rebelled against the whole culture and got married. And I married an English guy. <laughs> now, complete backlash now because now I have made my bed. I have to lie in it because my parents, despite having a mixed marriage, no longer will speak to me. Neither will the community. So I'm completely cut off and I'm completely on my own. Um, I went to work for a bank and at the age of 23, the bank told me I was over enthusiastic for my job. I can't understand how you can be over enthusiastic for a job. That's ridiculous. 
But culturally, you see, I've always been taught to be sort of subservient because I'm a little Indian girl. And mm. I've been taught to make sure people are happy and to look after people and keep people motivated. And that's what I was doing in the bank. But I've also been taught very, very important to me, uh, not just as a Hindu, no matter what religion you are, but mm. very, very personal for me is not to cheat anybody. So, therefore, I was selling the best products to the customers that were best for the customer, not for the bank. Mm -hmm. And that was where the bank said I was over-enthusiastic because I was looking after the customers. And the customers were coming in and only asking for me. Mm -hmm. This was at the time when the miners were coming out, the coal miners were coming out with millions of pounds, hundreds of thousands of pounds each, which they had no idea how to manage. So I was helping them to manage it. So, so that was that was the story. So I left the bank. Uh, I got pregnant and had two, two beautiful girls. Mm-hmm. And then I started my own business in my kitchen at home, which was just playing with food because uh, we were trying to raise money for the playground for the kids. And um, my husband told me that I would never be uh, any anything successful because uh, I was a woman. So uh, two years later, he put me on the floor and he kicked me, uh, repeatedly kicked me. Physically, literally. Physically, 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 literally. Uh, And for two days, I couldn't get up off the floor. Now, again, it's another cultural thing that as women, we're supposed to put up with this beating and, um, you know, we're supposed to stand and take it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't. I... uh, found the energy to go to the doctors and the doctor told me it won't stop. And um, I I actually managed to find the strength to leave. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. If you, if, if you say as a person from the UK at the minute, if you, you have no qualifications, you have no skills, you have no formal competences, you've got no experience you're in poverty, you're a survivor of domestic violence, you're a single parent, the state would say, well, you go on Social Security. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. I decided I wasn't going to play the victim. But you could have, though. I could could easily have. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I didn't. I uh, picked myself up. Uh, It took me a a very long time, but uh, I started to uh, manufacture... Uh, samosas, Indian snack food products in my kitchen at home. And I just made four. And I went out and I sold those four, but it was because it's all the money that I'd got. I hadn't got any money for anything else. Mm -hmm. I'd take, I'd looked at it and take, I thought, okay, so what would an Indian woman do? (laughs) And I looked back at what I'd learned going to India uh, over the years and said, okay, I'm not going to make these excuses. I'm going to do this. And I made four and then I made eight and 16 and 32 and so on. Until eight years later, we were producing 10,000 products a week, supplying supermarkets and airlines, went from my kitchen at home to two factories, both of them in regeneration areas, and from me to 35 staff. Now, another bit of cultural learning here is that all my staff were long-term unemployed because just like me, society had written them off. Mm -hmm. If you give those people an opportunity, they will pay you back in loyalty that it's unbelievable. 
my staff were my most valuable asset. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's that's what you've got to do. You've got to look at it and you've got to say, okay, you know, we had people who were, they, they'd been, they, some of them had been in prison. Some of them had been drug addicts. Uh, most of them were single parents. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a complete mixture of diversity, but all of them took their responsibilities when we explained to them, okay, this is your job. You do it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't give me the excuses. You can tell me that you've you've we've had a problem in the factory, but tell me how you solved it. Mm-hmm. And this this was this is what we did. And so from that point of basically being able to stand up when I did get up off the floor, um, we've we've not used we've used the the hashtag no excuses yeah. um, all, all the way through. And that's the thing that we we use now going forward. So there's there's no stopping muddy. There's there's no stopping me, and there's there's a, a massive big picture which I uh, intend to achieve, um, and I have to bring people along with me to be able to achieve that. I know I have to bring other people, so therefore it's also about empowering other people and telling people how responsible they are to create yeah. the world we all want to see. Yeah. You you created a brand around yourself and on on your site, um, which is marisharma.org. It says if Versace and Gucci could do it, so could I. And that's I think it's a it's a very strong argument. Uh, and in the story, you just told us that indeed, if you can do it, why could somebody else not do it? And there are a thousand of excuses that you probably can come up with why somebody can't. But if you just go out and do it, that's probably the the cure all. Just just telling somebody that, you know, did you know you could register your name as a registered trademark? Mm-hmm. Well, people don't even think you can do that. Yeah. Um, and not only that, Maddie also stands for Make a Difference Ideas. Yes. So we also gave it meaning. Yeah. There's an ohm across the top of it, uh-huh. which means I have to be ethical in everything that I do. It's not about me pushing Hinduism. It's about the, it's there, the ohm across the top is to remind me to be ethical in what I'm doing. Uh-huh. So we're very careful with what we do because the brand is the DNA of a company. Yeah. It's everything that that company stands for. And this is what people forget. The big companies talk about what they're doing as corporate social responsibility. You know, they're helping here. They're help- And then somewhere else in the world, they're doing the complete opposite. But they think nobody's going to find out. Mm-hmm. But for us, it's really important that the brand, we protect it. So, therefore, everybody who works for the Maddie group or works with the Maddie group, they're also what we call mini Maddies. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and, and you're the huge Maggie then. Yeah. You, I mean, uh, as a figure of speech, of course. You you talk about um, that, and, and I think your focus might be more so Europe, and, and or am I am I correct there? Or is it, are you global? No, no, we're, we're global. We're, okay. we're, we're we're global, but we we know at the minute we can co- concentrate on bits in Europe, as, mm. uh, especially in the Balkans region. Right. Uh, we're working heavily there, but India uh, and Africa, we're trying to do more and more in Africa. But basically, we'll help anybody anywhere. Yeah. Is there, is there a country talking about failure and um, failure not being accepted because of the culture of a, a local environment or a cult or, or a country? Is there a country that that gets it right or that gets that best gets it? Uh, no, sadly there isn't. Is there uh, a country that that's worst? Uh, 
No, each each there there are different things. There. So there are certain countries which really, which I would say, because I'm talking about the entrepreneurial spirit. I'm not talking about starting businesses necessarily. Mm-hmm. But if we talk about the entrepreneurial spirit, which is the the no excuses mm-hmm. and the turning an idea into an action, yeah, there are some countries which are more proactive in creating the environment, mm-hmm. like the UK. We mm-hmm. have we we have a, a very good environment here to to start a business. Uh, or to do something if you're at community level or if you want to start an NGO or a charity. It's very, very easy. The environment is really is, is really good. We still have the people that say, oh, no, you shouldn't be doing this. Oh, no, you shouldn't be doing this. So we don't have the same culture as the US mm-hmm. in that respect. But if you go somewhere like take Greece as an example, you know, Greece is on top, the top of the agenda today. Absolutely. But, Take Greece as an example. Well, if you want to do something entrepreneurial in Greece, first of all, everybody's going to tell you you shouldn't be doing that anyway. But then the government also makes it very, very difficult for you to be able to do something in that there are, you know, if you want to set up a business, they have to come around, check your house, uh, check your offices. You can't run a business from home. It makes it much more difficult. Mm. India, everything's there. I mean, India, you can, you, you know, you could just go out tomorrow and sell it. But then India's not got it right on the fact that it's not collecting the taxes and it's got too many informal businesses. Too, many corrupt, um, too much corruption, I guess. Too and much. too much corruption, which Mr. Modi is trying to address, which means we're also, we've got uh, this huge rich, div, rich, poor divide mm-hmm. and the money's not necessarily going to the right places. So we're not actually lifting the, the people in poverty out, which is what, I'd really like to do. And if we can have as many people as possible turn their ideas into an action, we can actually lift people out of poverty with the solutions that the people are going to invent and create. Themselves. Themselves. Yes. And and not top down, but more so bottom up, but maybe stimulated yeah. from the top. Yeah, yeah. We've just got to, t- we've got to stop the people at the top creaming, yep. um, creaming off the stuff. And it's not just about corruption. It's it's also about putting in the wrong environments. Yeah, true. Mani, we, we met um, like two or three weeks ago in Brussels where you actually gave an invigorating uh, speech lecture uh, beating almost. We we, uh, we were at Entreps, which um, is a, I think a Spanish found, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's about young young entrepreneurs in uh, within Europe, and you were utterly almost. That's what it felt, at least, like against Europe. What's what's wrong? I know this is might not be um, just for you, Marie, but the audience as well. Fifty percent of the listeners are from the United States, and fifty percent are from the rest of the world. Nonetheless, I think um, you know what happens here in Europe probably is to some interest as well to the U.S., where our biggest audience is. What is wrong with Europe currently? Um, it's delivering words. Um, and I think in part, part, there's the same thing's happening in the US also, but it's, it's delivering words. Um, and the words are becoming very, very hypocritical at the minute. So, uh, if we take example, trade, uh, at the minute, because, uh, Doha and the world trade talks have all stopped and ceased, we're now doing free trade agreements with, um, any nation that we can, including the US under TTIP. And, and we is Europe in this case. And in this case, we is, we is Europe. Yeah. Okay. But 
I know in Europe we talk about equality, diversity, and we talk about human rights a lot. Mm-hmm. Who is out one of our biggest trading partners, China, for mm-hmm. which we have no trade agreement whatsoever, and we are just doing business. Yeah. We talk in Europe about uh, embracing equality, embracing diversity. You know, we have uh, based on fully based on democracy, mm-hmm. but. We have less than 23% women in the decision-making process anywhere in Europe. So Afghanistan, Pakistan and Rwanda beat us. And so, you know, we have this, we have Mr. Juncker who's come in and it's just all words. And Juncker, and we, Mr. Juncker is the... Sorry, Mr. Juncker is the president of the European Union. Um, And one of his things he said was that he wanted to put uh, more women on the uh, uh, in the decision making process in Europe. And we actually took a step backwards in that he only appointed nine of the commissioners out of a possible 28. And the commissioners have the portfolios Mm -hmm. for each of the different sectors within the European Union. Now, he could have done something about it, but he didn't do anything about it. And so we are we're starting to question what's this democracy when 52% of the population is women and yet we only have a voice of 23%. Mm. So therefore everything is skewed. But the same thing is happening for the entrepreneurs. Yeah. The small businesses um, which are the backbone of the economy, 99% of the backbone of the economy, whether it's the US, Africa, India, China, wherever it is, is SMEs, small to medium-sized enterprises. Mm -hmm. But it's the big businesses who are getting everything. We have the banking crisis where the banks are controlling all the money Mm -hmm. and we can't get any as small businesses and we're the ones creating the employment. And so there's this huge, huge frustration now. But it's not it, it's not the fact that it's just in, in Europe. It's actually global that the politicians have started to forget to listen to the citizens and to the population. Is there a and country that's doing it somewhat better? I don't think there is at the minute, to not, be honest. Not even the Swedes or the Danes? Well, look at the Danes. They voted for the far right. The far right party got second. Now, the far it, 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 for the Danes, they're 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 also going to look to come out of the European Union. So I'm seeing we uh, because of, for our American colleagues, you all know that the UK is uh, looking to not necessarily come out, but it's uh, either a threat or that we're playing games at the minute. Yeah, dangerous but, games. Well, it's costly games they, potentially. Yeah, but we're also seeing a rise of the far right in Europe, which is. Very Very, very frightening. Very frightening. Um, but it's because the actual politicians and the leaders are not listening to the people. And this is this is the bit we have to change. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but I, you know, it, it, the American uh, population is also uh, online and, and, and listening. There's a similar thing happening within the black communities in America now. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that politicians have just that they're just so far away from the people. From reality, yeah. From, from reality. That democracy seems to have disappeared. Nobody's voting anymore. And you you know, we are asking now who is getting it right, because nobody is. Um and it's 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 at a, a very dangerous stage where you also see then the rise of 
fundamentalists like ISIS, um, who are they're picking up the people who are disaffected and are disenchanted with what's going on um, in, in the nations. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad because, uh, you know, Europe is great. It was founded for peace and stability. Mm-hmm. We have peace. For the last 50 years, we have had peace in Europe. Mm-hmm. And, and we are forgetting why we fought for a European Union. I, yeah, to some extent, I think that's that's true. Is it is it then? Is it all bad? Or I mean, I'm thinking about um, China. I'm thinking about Russia. Would that be the better system, or do we still have? I'm, was it Churchill who said like uh, uh, all kind of these systems, like democracy, etc., are bad, but democracy seems to be the least worst of them all. Uh, a fully functioning democracy would be nice. If we included more women, we will have greater transparency and we will have less corruption. Mm-hmm. There's a fear of including women, and I don't understand why. Women don't want to take control of the power, but women think more long term. Mm. Um, so therefore, it's better to bring women into the sustainability and long term discussions, whereas men think more short term. I, I know I'm generalizing yeah, yeah. and this, this is not a woman versus man debate, but this is about it's time to change the dynamics of the way we've been doing things. Mm. So a woman would spend money on education. Uh, uh, generally, the politicians at the minute tend to be spending money on defense, huge, huge amounts of money on defense. And we've got to have the open discussions to be able to get a change in the systems that we've got, because whether it's whether it's communism um, or whether, you know, whether it's China, Russia or mm-hmm. Europe with its democracy, none of them are working. None of them are working. They're all, in a way, uh, repressing the, the way that the people are trying to think. So we've got we've got to find something. But we've we've also got to stop the hypocrisy of um, of some of the things that we're talking about. Yeah. And and you with your organization, what do you do to change this? What how how are you trying to influence this? We can't touch the macroeconomics. We can't touch the macro politics. We can move at the bottom and ask the people to turn their ideas into action and to focus on what they're doing. And when thing, when people are doing things in uh, really nicely, other people join in. Mm-hmm. And so you get this wave and these, uh, uh, you know, you throw the, the pebble into the pond and you've got the concentric circles. Yep. And so the wave is there and the, the change is made, but the change is made from the grassroots. And ultimately the politicians start to listen, but it, it, it takes time. But I know I can't influence the macroeconomics. Um, I don't want to influence what's going on in Brussels politically mm-hmm. uh, or, or in the European Union politically. Um But I'm really happy to work at the grassroots, and that's what that's what we do. We focus on the people rather than on the politics. Okay, it's a bit it's a bit like the story of the starfish. Uh, you know the story of the starfish. Yeah, pick one up and throw it back. At least I saved that one. Exactly. Yes. That, that's it. That's exactly what it is. That's your approach. All right. Wonderful. Um, as we uh, we've been chatting for a little over 30 minutes, and most of the uh, interviews are around this time. So um, I'd like to uh, ask my two final questions, um, and one you've prepped hopefully a little bit is uh, if can you give us and the audience like three tips to become more culturally competent, coming from your own very broad experience. Oh, it's really strange. I don't know if I don't know if you're going to understand this one or not. Give it a try. 
It's to say thank you. It's really strange. People don't say thank you anymore. And when you say thank you, you suddenly value somebody for something that they've done. And I can't, I, I, and you're going to say this is not cultural at all, but the first time I did this and realized what an effect it made was I was in Croatia mm-hmm. and I went to the bathroom. And I came out of the bathroom and the woman was cleaning the toilet at the side of me. And I went in and I just said, thank you very much. And she said, why you say thank you? I said, because I really like to go to the a clean toilet. And she says, nobody says thank you. Right. And I said, and here, and I gave her five kuna, which is n- really nothing. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm, I'm not going to use this. You take it. And she cried. Mm-hmm. Nobody says thank you to the people who do the dirty jobs. And culturally, this is the most important thing to me. If we don't respect people and we don't value people wherever they are in the world, you cannot do business. You cannot make the change. You can't make you can't have the difference that you want to see. So the first thing is to say thank you. Excellent. The the second one is um, to understand things from other people's perspectives so put yourself in their shoes you cannot possibly understand what people are going through but um if and i i use a thing in when when i'm speaking that no is only ever a temporary word Mm. people say no for a reason um, either they're having a bad day or there's something they don't say no because they just want to say no and they want you to go away there's something behind it you need to try and find out what's behind it um, and so you need to understand put yourself in other people's shoes is something that I, I would ask people to do we don't do it and you might think yeah I understand that person but you don't because you don't see the big picture from behind them mm-hmm. Um, and always my, my last one would be uh, value diversity because uh, it brings so much. You can learn so much. You can develop new products. You can find new markets. Uh, you can have new intelligence. It's so enlightening mm-hmm. when you start to uh, value diversity and culture. Uh, and and that's, that's why I would encourage people to travel as much as they can. It's the best form of education. Great. Fantastic tips. I like the, um, my favorite one would be say thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that from you if I may. No, please do. (laughs) But please do it. Please do it. It's one thing I encourage people. Please do it. Just watch the person's face when you say thank you, especially when you say thank you to the person cleaning the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Um, Money, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Maddie at maddiesharma.org. And you can uh, either go through the website and there's a contact page or you can just send me an email. All right. At uh, Madi at madisharma.org. All right. Yeah. Fantastic, Madi. Thank you for taking the time on such short notice to do this to do this interview. Um, I wish you all the best with um, throwing back one starfish at the time and making this world a better place. And uh, I'm pretty sure we'll talk to each other in the future. Thank you. And you know, I have one ambition, which is to turn 7 billion ideas into action. So if I can do it, you have no excuses for not uh, helping me to do it. Exactly. You've got me inspired for sure. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Madi, thank you again for the interview, and thanks again for sharing your, um, your your personal story with this. You feel you sound very comfortable talking about this, and still, it's. Uh, I think if you listen to this, and if you, even if you hear it t- twenty times, it's um, it's well, shocking, uh, inspiring, uh, uplifting, and uh, and all these things together. So a big thank you. This is the end of the Culture Matters podcast. If you like what we do here at the podcast, then why don't you give it a rating? Preferably the higher, the better, of course. Give me an honest and, uh, and, an honest and fair review on uh, iTunes. So that would be really appreciated. I'll be back in two weeks' time with another guest for the Culture Matters podcast. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.